Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I know you're playing in a streamer showdown tournament this afternoon, and I assume this is going to age very well, but I expect to be uh, hearing that you are the winner when people listen to this in the future. I don't know, Ben. It's Zendikar Rising draft, and uh, I, may, I may be a little, maybe a little rusty, but maybe maybe I'll be looking at it with fresh eyes. You know, it'll be a new and exciting for me, having not really done a Zendikar draft in probably I don't know a month, month and a half. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, I am doing that a little uh, later this afternoon on Sunday, December twentieth. I wish that the format was cube. That would be pretty sweet because this arena cube has been awesome. I agree. Cube has been absolutely fantastic. I've been jamming as much as I possibly have time for. Yeah, I, th- I was hoping that the amount of best of three I was jamming was going to encourage wizards to extend it again, but they have not. <laughs> so so perhaps some of our thoughts here may not age particularly well, given that we've only been playing best of three so far. Actually, I did accidentally join a best of one queue yesterday and got six wins. Couldn't get the max wins, but we'll be doing best of one cube, I think probably for the next couple weeks as well. And maybe touching on that when we do our Q and a episode next week. But yeah, we're gonna be talking all things arena cube or as I've been calling it the companion cube, because I am obsessed with the four companions. Well, I guess three of the four companions in the arena cube uh, this time around. Yeah. Karuga is not so good. No, I, I kind of wanted to try to do it before the cube went away with like, I think that if you could make it work, you would have to get like, you'd have to have Brazen Borrower and Bone Crusher Giant, I think specifically so that you could like do something on turn two sometimes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't really know how you make that work. I've faced a couple of Kruger decks and uh, they, they did not work out well for my opponents. Yeah, I can't imagine that's a good plan. Yeah, it's really, really, really slow. Uh, anyway, so we've got a lot of stuff. We, you know, as, as Ben said, we've been jamming as many cube drafts as we possibly can. So we're going to be talking all things Arena Cube, giving our sort of big picture takes on cube in general, if you're new to cube. But for most of the episode, we're going to assume you've got a little bit of background with cube. Maybe you've done a handful of drafts yourself with this cube and uh, talking about all the things that we've been finding success with slash enjoying, um, because sometimes those things don't overlap. But I do think that it's important to to point those things out as well, just because cube is fun. I I mean, like it's a recreational format, you know, like I think it's important to recognize that this is where drafting with preferences comes to bear. You get to just do the things you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. I think and you and I have a tendency to trend towards decks that are not <laughs> great <laughs> sometimes in cube. I think it's it's nice to see Ben draft cube for, for my money because I like it's it's where I feel like I get to finally see you do wacky stuff, do bonkers stuff that isn't necessarily the spikiest. Yeah, I think that's probably true. My pet decks in cube, I think are black white disruption which is pretty good but not one of the tier one decks i tend to like tier 1.5 tier two decks in cube <laughs> yeah well because the the nice thing about those kinds of decks and we're, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves we got some housekeeping to do but the nice thing about those decks is that they're often open or reliable or the pieces are redundant and so you can get them a lot like my like weird jund two for one deck that i like to draft in vintage cube that's all about like landfall and recurring lands from your graveyard like those decks have so many redundant pieces and nobody wants them that you know that you can always get that deck to come together so like yeah it's a tier two deck but it's so reliable whereas like if you go after that like mono blue artifact deck in vintage cube like you can crash and burn sometimes Yes, absolutely. My general cube philosophy in a powered cube, I think, is that I'm doing best if my opponents have no permanence on the battlefield or no <laughs> mana, because then I can't possibly get screwed over somehow. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's a really good strategy. No, no getting four spiked there, Ben. Um, anyway, so like I said, getting ahead of ourselves, a couple of housekeeping things to do our usual. We're going to shout out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose. It is the week of Christmas, the season of giving. If, if you're interested in giving back to the show and getting access to our Discord or our show notes or private sections of the discord or even coaching sessions with us each month um, the patreon page is the place to get that to happen and each and every week we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold so this week we are welcoming tom matt and steven thank you thank you thank you we really appreciate your support yeah cannot say thank you enough the discord is great hanging out with folks in the hero tier has been a blast the last few weeks since we've started uh, doing office hours and pushing that a little bit more as well as just you know popping into what's the pick and answering a question i really do think it's one of the best communities on the internet for limited magic the gathering amen shows also brought to you in part now by channel fireball channel fireball.com best place to go for anything you need magic related 
They've got a bunch of stuff going on there around Christmas time. Biggest thing is CFB Pro. That's been happening all year. You can subscribe $4.99 a month to get access to all the pro content. Or if you're buying stuff at CFB, you can subscribe for $9.99 a month and get $10 back in store credit. So it's essentially free of cost to you. You, me, Alex, we're all writing great articles over there. Um, Luis just put up an Arena Cube article. I just put up an Arena Cube article. I know you're working on potentially a vintage Cube article, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So lots of sweet limited content over there. If you play standard as well, we'll still allow it. But uh, you can find <laughs> content like deep dives, like how to play Shark Typhoon by Reed Duke. So a ton of stuff going on over there. As Ethan said earlier, it's also the season of giving. So if you've got a magic player in your life that you're looking to give a gift for, you can get a magical holiday booster crate for that person or even for yourself. Uh, biggest thing in the holiday booster crates a commander legends booster box and there's a bunch of other sweet promos in there and every purchase of that holiday booster crate will result in a donation to no kids hungry that provides 50 meals to children throughout the u.s so lots of sweet stuff going on over at channel fireball and whenever you check out over there make sure you remember to use the code lol to let them know that we sent you there so uh just a brief uh discussion about constructed as you said you'll you'll allow it so i qualified for the the miq this weekend on arena and the last time i played it it was standard and i made day two and that was awesome and so this time i was like oh i'll do it again it'll be great you know and i the last time i was playing a lot of constructed at the time and i hadn't touched any constructed this month let alone historic but i was like whatever i'm, I'm gonna listen to constructed resources they're telling me to play salt time mid-range i can play a salt time mid-range deck i know how to like maximize my mana whatever and it's great because there was like a whole deck guide that lsv wrote and a sideboard guide as well so i just pulled that up because i'm on cfb pro and so had that on one monitor had my uh miq on the other monitor i promptly o would but <laughs> <laughs> Go join CFB Pro, everybody. <laughs> that, I think, has less to do with the content that LSV provided and more to do with the <laughs> fact that those were the three games of Historic that I ever played. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of good stuff over at CFB Pro, for sure. All right, uh, last little bit of housekeeping. Do want to remind folks that next Sunday, December 27th at 10 a.m. Eastern, we're going to be doing a live holiday Q&A episode on my Twitch stream. So, that's twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. So, you can show up and ask questions live. Um, and we'll answer them during the episode, or you can uh, message us either, you know, on Twitter or Discord, whatever, hop into our streams during the week and shoot us an, uh, a question. And we'll make sure to add that to our Google Doc and answer that during that episode. So really looking forward to getting to do that. It'll be not quite as sweet as our live episode from Las Vegas, but hopefully, hopefully nearly as sweet. I think the best part about the live from Las Vegas was getting to say hello and welcome live from Las Vegas. That was pretty yeah. poggers. Yeah, pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. We won't be, get, won't be getting to do that this time around. All right. Uh, so let's, I guess, start with a little bit of general cube thoughts here, Ben. Yeah. So I think just what is cube, you know, if you're new to cube and it's basically a curated limited format of the best cards of all time, you know, specifically the vintage cube on Magic Online, that's going to feature stuff like Black Lotus, the boxes, Ancestral Recall, Time Walk, the like. There's also Legacy Cubes, Modern Cubes. So you can, depending on what type of cards you include, they're different power levels. Um, so the most powerful cubes are generally referred to as powered cubes, but it's basically just a pre-constructed limited format. Right. Yeah. So like as Ben was rattling off there, Legacy Cube, Modern Cube, we've seen Corset Cube. So whatever restriction you put on your cube, like I think the Arena Cube is essentially Historic Cube because it's pulling from all the cards that are available on arena um you know whatever restrictions you put on your cube yet then you're going to curate that list generally around you know minimum is 360 so that you know then that that works out to everybody at the table of eight people getting 45 cards minimum is 360 usually like 540 ish is like the generally thought upon best number but people have like giant cubes like 720 even upwards of that so it, it all depends on what you want to do um, and then within that you're going to try and you know balance archetypes and seed sort of decks in there so it's really this balance between limited and constructed yeah and and I think, you know, some of the things that happen as a result of that is things change in the draft format, right? Lands are really powerful. There's going to be lands in most cubes, the original dual lands. There's going to be fetch lands to go search up those original dual lands. Cards like Strip Mine, that's a land that taps to blow up another land, or Library of Alexandria that can tap to draw you a card if you have seven cards in your hand. There's just really, really sweet things to do. And as a result, those lands are much higher picks than normal. 
I'm you know, compared to something if you're used to drafting, you know, whatever, Zendikar Rising. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, you just don't have opportunities to pick lands. Like sometimes we'll see sets like, you know, core sets, they'll sometimes replace basic lands with dual lands or whatever, or cons of Tarkir, you know, sometimes dual lands are a part of a format, but by and large and limited, you're not really picking lands very highly. Right. And I think in general, as far as cube philosophy goes, creatures tend to be thought of as overrated, especially in something like the vintage cube. I don't necessarily subscribe to that theory. Um, I'm not a cube purist that way. I'm, I'm fine putting some creatures in my deck and beating down in cube. But in general, the spells tend to be more powerful than the creatures. Right, because the farther you go back, if we're talking about vintage cube going all the way back to the beginning of magic, that's when creatures were by and large garbage and the spells were super super op and so you know the more recent you get like the arena cube i don't actually think that's the case though you know i do still think blue white control may be the best archetype in this cube much to my chagrin but i I do think that creatures are quite powerful in the arena cube yeah and there's also another staple of cubes tends to be planeswalkers there's really really powerful planeswalkers you know oko's running around frequently stuff like jace the mind sculptor Pretty much every powerful planeswalker that's been printed is in the vintage cube. And then, you know, depending on, again, like we said, what those restrictions are for your cube, generally the planeswalkers are going to make the cut because those are some of the best cards. That's not necessarily true of the arena cube, which is one of the most refreshing things about it. But you can generally expect games of cube to focus around planeswalkers and include planeswalkers pretty frequently. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest mental shifts when if you've never cubed before and you're you know open up your first cube draft even in the arena cube i think is you know you see some of like the biggest heavy hitters you saw in your original limited formats and so you're looking at these powerful you know elder gargaroth at 5 cmc or noxious gear hulk at 6 cmc maybe noxious gear hulk is an exception there but you know you're not gonna have any problem finding 4 cmc 5 cmc 6 cmc things to win you the game What you need to find is like a good curve, a synergistic plan, and identify the things that are super unique in that four CMC, five, six CMC slots that are like, well, this is way above replacement level, like the the rankles of the world, the sky sovereign console flagships of the world, the things that you're like, this is the cream of the crop at this CMC and I'm going to take this here. But otherwise, you really need to be balancing out like your curve and your cheap interaction, that sort of thing. Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm sure you remember, I mean, I remember so clearly my first cube draft on magic online and my four drop slot had like eight things in it and like <laughs> it was like hunt master of the fells and just like all these things i was like this card was so good and limited and just promptly getting stomped by super synergistic streamlined decks and going oh i've i've done something terribly wrong here <laughs> Yep. Learning the hard way. Trial yeah, by fire, baby. Exactly. So what is the Arena Cube then? You know, we've talked a little bit about Cube in general. Arena Cube, as you said earlier, is all of the cards from Historic. Everything that's on Arena is legal, and they pull cards from that, which means that it's substantially different, I think, if you're coming to cube from you know mtgo background maybe or certainly a powered cube background this cube feels significantly different and i think it incentivizes you to do a lot of different things than you normally would in cube oh that's super interesting so like what what seems different to you for arena cube well i think first and foremost creatures matter a lot more you know i think as far as cubers go i'm prone to putting creatures in my deck more than most cubers in the vintage cube but i think creatures are actively good in the arena cube and are going to get played. So as a result, you really need to be able to interact with those creatures. So, you know, something like in vintage cube, maybe you want one or two spells that are, you know, maybe you want a swords to plowshares for when somebody reanimates their gristle brand so that you can interact with that. But I think in the arena cube, you can pretty reliably play, you know, three, four, you know, one for one removal spells, cards like Vraska's Contempt, two black, black, instant exile target creature, planeswalker, you gain two life. Those are much better in this cube than in MTGO cubes. So something about spot removal that I think is important to note. So yes, I totally agree that in this cube, and also, you know, like you're saying in Vintage Cube, like having that sort of catch-all spell for if your opponent is doing something busted with one single creature, I totally agree with that. I think in this cube, something similar my mindset is sort of similar in that I want to identify the removal spells that are above replacement level. So you've identified, you know, something that's catch-all and something that can deal with planeswalkers. So something like Vraska's Contempt or Never to Return or Murderous Rider, you know, the first copy of those in my black decks I value quite highly. Something like Fatal Push or Eliminate, I will often pass up on those, recognizing that I can get something like that 
down the road, almost certainly. And I probably want to focus on more things that I think are above replacement level in terms of my creature department or card advantage or whatever. Right. And, you know, we talked about, you know, reasons, rewards, replacement level, that sort of stuff recently. That happens in cube as well. Mm -hmm. The the bar is just like way higher for what's, you know, a reason and what's a reward and what's replacement level. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think like like we talked about identifying for yourself, what are the things, what are the expensive spells that you're willing to take early? Because so for folks who maybe don't understand why it's so important to like not take, you know, medium expensive spells early is because that then lowers your opportunity to take those cards later right how many six drops can you end up in a deck that isn't like full of mana ramp or whatever like you know two two three and so if you're taking stuff that isn't noxious gear hulk early if you're taking things that are just like medium finishers then later when you see that noxious gear hulk and you're in black you're going to take that and go oh man now that means i have to put the thing i took earlier into my sideboard and so you essentially wasted that pick early whereas that's rarely going to happen if you took a two drop there a serviceable two drop or a synergy two drop something like that right and i think the last thing as far as creatures going up in value is that sweepers go up in value Ugh. much more than normal right so wrath of god is really good in this cube cleansing nova is really good in this cube and whereas normal cube those cards are like maybe you have one in the main and another one to side in whenever you face mono red or whatever but they're not super high picks there's so many sweepers in white. There's Wrath of God. There's Cleansing Nova. There's Realm Cloak Giant. There's, I mean, I have been on to Inversion, but that rarely happens. There's Settle the Wreckage, like that's so much. And then there's like mini sweepers in other colors like Languish or Cry the Carnarium. A lot of wraths in this cube. I think rightly so, because otherwise the aggro decks would just crush everything, right? Could we just have maybe one less? Maybe white didn't need... 18 sweepers maybe you can just get one less anyway so as, as ben alluded to before lands are really high picks this is partly because um and they talked about this on lr this week but this is partly because like you know your general limited mana base isn't very good right if you're talking about a 9-8 split or a 10-7 split sometimes you just like have to mulligan because you have like planes planes and then a bunch of red cards in your hand um so the more you can flesh out your mana for your two color decks of like getting you know two three four dual lands that's going to make your mana base way better for your two color decks and then also having like really super good mana or valuing dual lands really highly opens you up to the the supported multicolor good stuff decks the golos decks the niv Mizzet reborn decks field of the dead that sort of thing and the other reason that lands are super epics is everything's good it's a cube right it's a curated limited format of the most powerful things you can pull from uh, a limited card pool and so that means that you're gonna have no problem making playables you're not gonna end a cube draft going oh no where's my 22nd 23rd spell you're gonna have plenty of stuff to choose from and so taking lands highly really like buffs out the amount of cards that you get to play from the cards you draft right and it increases your win rate right if you have a better mana base than your opponents on average you're going to get mana hosed less and as a result your win rate is going to go up now one of the reasons lands are super high picks in the cubes that we normally draft on magic online like vintage legacy modern is you have access to fetch lands and so the fetch lands allow you to turn your dual lands into these multicolor lands right so if you've got overgrown tomb which is a swamp forest and you have wooded foothills which is a red green fetch land so it can search up a mountain or a forest well now all of a sudden your wooded foothills finds red green and black mana and so that's really really powerful so in in those uh, eternal cube formats fetch lands are really high picks they are those 10 fetch lands are the best lands in terms of like you know non-ability lands that you can draft now we don't have fetch lands in the arena cube so i think slightly lands go down a little bit in value just slightly i'm not telling you to not draft lands but i'm just saying that that power that you generally get from the fetch lands doesn't exist here right so for example i think first picking a card like flooded strands is super common in the vintage cube that's the blue white fetch land or yes. even you know picking tundra that's the blue white dual land both of those would be fine first picks nobody would bat an eye at you taking those cards over ugin the spirit dragon or something like emrakul or whatever what picture some crazy powerful card first picking a land out pack one pick one is normal whereas i think first picking hallowed fountain which is the Shockland, the blue white Shockland in Arena Cube. I don't think that's normal to first pick that card in the Arena Cube, at least from my experience so far. I would rather know that I'm blue white. And then once I know I'm blue white, then I'm picking those dual lands super highly rather than letting the lands sort of dictate where I go in the draft, where you do sometimes do that in Vintage Cube. Right. Well, one of the things about Vintage Cube is there's so many incredibly powerful, splashable things. If you think about, you know, whatever time walk or balance or, you know, things like that that are single pipped. In Arena Cube, there's not really that like huge power level drop off or that like high power level ceiling that you see. One of the reasons I think you and I are enjoying Arena Cube is 
it's very flat. The power level is is really flat across the board. There are you know a, a handful of cards that I think are really above everything else in terms of pack one pick one ability. But other than that, it's pretty flat. And so I think that incentivizes me to do the multicolored good stuff deck less because that I you know I don't really care about well my mana is so good so I can do anything that doesn't open up a lot of opportunities to me save for I think that dedicated like Golos Niv Field of the Dead deck. Right. And I think, you know, you said something about the best cards in the cube. I do think there are about, I don't know, whatever the number is, 30, 40 cards that are head and shoulders just rawly more powerful than the other cards in the cube as far as intrinsic power level. And it's weird in that a lot of those cards are higher CMC cards, which is unusual for a cube. And I've sort of had to retrain my baselines for cube and be willing to do something like, I don't know, take Sublime Epiphany, you know, really highly. Sublime Epiphany right. would not be that high of a pick in the Vintage Cube. You would be expecting to wheel that, I think, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super, super powerful. Obviously, like one of the best cards from M21. And it's been very powerful in Arena Cube. But I agree, like adjusting that to be like, okay, this is a 6 CMC spell worth taking early and worth carving out for. Approach of the Second Sons, I think, is a, a similar thing. I'm like, this is 7 CMC. I wouldn't even consider doing this unless I was like, you know, stiff drafting myself or something on Vintage Cube. But in Arena Cube, this is a very real win condition deck with a plan style card. Right. Or something like Glory Burner. I mean, that's good in Vintage yeah. Cube. And I think you and I like those cards more than most other people in, in the MTGO Cubes. But something like Glorybringer is absurd in this cube and it's five CMC and you should first pick it. It's very good. You should let it draw you into red. Yeah. So you've got here and the next point is a lot of the best cards are finishers. You need to be willing picking high like Torrential Gear Hulk or just adjusting your baselines for those kinds of cards. Yeah, that's been one of the biggest adjustments for me. I was not doing that my first few drafts. And then after I wrote my article for CFB Pro and really sat down and picked out what I thought the best cards were in each color, each colorless best cards, multicolored. I realized how many of them were just high CMC cards that I would not normally pick highly in cube. And so because of that, it sounds like you're bumping up ramp and acceleration in your pick order. Yeah, absolutely. So there's some green acceleration. There's two one drop accelerators and then a fair amount of two drop accelerators. And normally you wouldn't be excited about two mana ramp cards in cube. But I think just everything's sort of topsy-turvy in this cube. And as a result, I think two-mana ramp cards are good in this cube because they're going to get you to those four or five, six CMC spells that are really powerful. Right. I think that was one of the biggest adjustments for me is, so, you know, in normal cubes, even beyond vintage, just like Legacy Modern, one of the things about green, green's identity is getting a critical mass of one CMC rampers. And in this cube, like you said, there's only two. It's Gilded Goose and Llanowar Elves. That's it. And so I had to sort of readjust and go, okay, that you can't just do that thing. Like you, maybe you'll get those two, maybe you won't, but that's not going to be the thing that makes your deck tick. The thing that makes your deck tick is going to be the critical mass at two CMC and honestly, even three CMC, right? You know, there's a lot of things, Elvis Rejuvenator, Beanstalk Giant, Spring to Mind, a lot of green ramp fixing cards at three CMC. And then that's where a lot of the mana rocks are, right? If we think about Vintage Cube, we're used to Signets, which are these two mana uh, accelerants, but we don't get those really. There's Mindstone, but that's it. Then the, the glut here is at three. You've got Midnight Clock, Skyclave Relic, Coalition Relic. The, that's where you're getting your colorless fixing is at three CMC. Right, but ramping two, four, and five early is still very powerful. If you're getting down a card like Sky Sovereign Console Flagship a turn or two early, that's big game in this cube. That's a super powerful card that's going to either eat a Planeswalker on the way down, eat a creature on the way down, and they'd be threatening to do the same the next turn. Right. It's it's weird. I have found a lot of the times that my curve ends up looking like, you know, some amount of twos, but then like the three drop slot is where all my ramp is. And then my four drop isn't really that fleshed out. And then I've got like five or six five drops because I'm doing this like skipping over four, going from three to five a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So another feature of the arena cube is that it's not super plain walker centric which has honestly been extraordinarily refreshing i think whoever designed this cube i don't know who it was but props to you all i think you did a fantastic job there are some good planeswalkers in the cube we've said you know ugin the spirit dragons running around that tends to trump everything that's happened but it is eight mana i think outside of ugin the next best planeswalker is probably chandra torch of defiance that's two red red and she can down tick to deal four damage to a creature and has so two plus no, abilities right two plus abilities as well that are also absurd but i think there are not a lot of planeswalkers like that that come down protect themselves and then are also busted most of them are like the planeswalkers that are card advantage engines like you could theoretically let them be on the board for a turn or two and still come back and win the game so the planeswalkers don't tend to dominate the games 
do your opponents play planeswalkers? Absolutely. But it doesn't feel like you're fighting through a planeswalker every single round of cube. Right. It does feel like you're facing Wrath of God every single round of cube, at least <laughs> if you're me. But yeah, I agree. And that's one of my favorite things. Like I would be so bummed if like either of the Teferis were in here or if Nissa was in here. Like those would then immediately just be in the top 10 cards, probably. But by and large, the planeswalkers are there a lot of them are from War of the Spark, and a lot of them are the uncommon ones, right? We've got like Kiora or Tybalt or like Ashiok, like all the ones that have only minus abilities. And those don't feel as backbreaking. Right. I mean, there's cards like Sarkin running around. Yeah, sure, or, sure. Yeah, there's also the M whatever Tezzeret that makes Thopters and can draw you cards. I mean, there's good there's good card advantage Planeswalkers running around, but they're not overpowered. So unlike other cubes where I think there's a bit more freedom, th- there are really 10 seated two color pair archetypes in Arena Cube right? Like green-white is doing plus one, plus one counter things. Like there, there are sub-themes like green-white can also do go-wide tokens. Uh, Red-white I think is more the go-wide aggro deck. Red-black is sacrifice. Blue-black is control. White-blue is control. Also, there's my fave white-blue auras deck. We'll get to that in a little bit. But right, all, all the two color pairs are doing sort of specific streamlined things. Right. And this is really unusual. Usually the cards that are in cube that lead to the archetypes are one of that, you know, incentivize you to build around them, right? Like you get re animate and binning effects in blue black. So blue black ends up being reanimator or you have a card like Kiki Jiki and then you get the Kiki Jiki combo that seeds into blue red and that ends up being the foundation of a lot of blue red decks in cube or there's a card like opposition that's two blue blue and lets you tap a creature to tap down another permanent and that leads you to put a bunch of token makers effect in green in your deck and so opposition ends up being the blue green archetype mm-hmm. and that's not really the case here in arena cube. Yeah it's it's a little more like oh the you know, if we're talking about reasons for rewards, a lot of the gold cards in the cube are the reasons to do things. If I if I see the green white Ajani, or if I see Conclave Mentor, I'm like, oh, this is a reason to do the plus one plus one counter thing. So I'm going to move in to that style of deck. Whereas I, I don't think there are a lot of like single colored cards that I'm like, this is powerful. Let's see which home I end up uh, finding it in. Right. And so those two colored decks feel like hyper powered draft decks, I think. And yeah. the, one of the weird things in the cube, I think there's some tension here, is that those decks, when they go off, are really, really, really powerful. But if you do dive hard into those two color pair synergy decks, they can have sort of a glass cannony feel where either they go off and they do their thing and you win super big. But if your opponent has, you know, disruption at the right moment or your opponent has a wrath or whatever, you know, a lot of times your deck ends up feeling pretty anemic or underpowered. You know, imagine you're green white and your opponent plays Wrath of God, right? You spent three, four, five cards getting on the board early and going wide and then your opponent answered all of that with one powerful card. But that's not like super unique in the sense of, you know, there's always mono red or mono white aggro decks and there's always wraths in these like vintage modern legacy cubes and sometimes you do try and do like one drop two drop three drop and then your opponent goes cool sweep it up um so i I agree that like sort of feels bad or anemic sometimes but that's not super unique in terms of aggro decks getting wrecked by wraths and cube sure i agree with that i guess more what i'm trying to say is i think there's a difference between like the best cards in the cube don't necessarily belong in those two two color pair synergy decks. Like they are just really, really good cards. So there's a bit of tension in whether you're going to pick the really good cards or whether you're going to draft those synergy decks, I think is more what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And it's and a lot of those really, really good cards aren't like things where you're like, oh, how do I maximize this? It's just like if you have planes in your deck, Elspeth Conquer's death is going to be broken. It's going to feel really, really busted. If you have lands in your deck, Skyship is going to be great. You know, if you have mountains, Chandra is going to be great. There's not a lot of like, how do I build around this or what cards are going to best support this? It's just like, this is going to be the best card in my deck when I can cast it. Right. So I think that leads me to how I've been drafting the cube, which is I've been trying to take those really, really good cards first and then filling in the bottom of my curve with whatever sort of synergy stuff that I can find from those seated two color synergy decks. You know, so for example, maybe I'm starting my draft with Chandra and then I pick up a couple other good red cards and then I pick up a Sarkin. I'm trying to figure out whether I'm supposed to then dive into, you know, red black sacrifice to finish out my deck or dive into, you know, red white to finish out my deck or red green, trying to figure out what the open color pair is after I get some of those powerful cards. Yeah, I think so. I'm not quite doing that. I think I'm a little bit more willing to like I don't know. I, I get very excited about cube built around. So I see Judith early and I'm like, all right, sweet. I want to do the red black sack thing. Or I see, obviously, I love the companions. And so I'm, if I see a, a Luris early, I'm like hard going for that deck to companion Luris. 
or you know whatever. I see the conclave mentor early, and I want to do that. So I'm a bit more willing to do the the synergy or go for that two color streamlined deck type of deal. Yeah, for sure. And I think the last sort of defining feature to me about the Arena Cube is there's not a ton of good, and I mean good in the sense of intrinsically powerful low converted mana cost cards if you're not playing a beatdown or a synergy strategy. There are a lot of them if you're playing those seated two color pair archetypes or if you're playing mono white, mono red, mono black, whatever. But if you're just doing, you know, sort of a, a cube thing where you've got a lot of powerful cards, there are not a lot of powerful one, two CMC cards. Right. I've been calling them speed bumps uh, when I draft them, <laughs> like like Dusk Legion Zealot or Thibblethip or Filigree Familiar. Like if I'm trying to fill out my curve, I'm like, all right, well, this is at least like sort of a two for one or it replaces itself. And this is like this will get in the way of something while I'm on my road to doing my powerful top end. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, a few thoughts here. I, I think this cube is generally kind of fast. I don't know what your experience has been. I mean, we're talking about there's not a lot of good low drops, but a lot of the archetypes are inclined to be a bit more assertive or to get on board early. And so I would be very, very wary of do nothing spells or cards that don't affect the board. So like not to say you can't do the sweet things. Obviously, I'm trying to do sweet things a lot of the time, but you do really need a good curve and cheap interaction. And I think you have to sort of pick and choose if you're in archetypes that want those do nothing spells, pick and choose which ones are the most powerful. So if you think about like this token strategy that's supported, there's anointed procession and divine visitation, right? And so this is a anointed procession is a four mana enchantment that doubles tokens that come into play and divine visitation turns all your tokens into four, four flying angels. But both of those do nothing when you cast them. So I think those are fine because they sort of maybe make up for themselves the turn afterwards, but you still like, you can't load up on those effects because I think you get in serious danger of one, having anemic draws and two, falling too far behind on board. Yes, I agree. And as far as, you know, being wary of do nothing spells and things like that, just talking about the cube in general being fast, I do think it does feel fairly fast. I agree. And it also feels like you're much more rewarded for being proactive and mm -hmm. doing your own thing and putting threats on the board than you are trying to be reactive, at least in my experience, I've played a couple reactive decks and it has not felt great because as soon as your opponent plays something that you don't have the answer for immediately in your hand, you're just in a ton of trouble. Right. There's a lot of, um, I like mill is a deck and, uh, one of our, uh, our friends, uh, Stunlock FTW, he, he messaged me on discord. He drafted like a, a mono blue mill deck that we were talking about that I hadn't seen yet. And it sounds like he almost got the trophy lost in the finals maybe, but you know, there's a lot of like folio fancies, the three mana Ashiok patient rebuilding. Like how many of these do nothing mill cards can you put in your deck to not affect the board jace as well like maybe jace soaks up some damage but like there's a lot of stuff that that does nothing in terms of affecting the board with power and toughness and i think you have to be super choosy i am a firm believer that patient rebuilding is hot garbage but that seems to be a pretty hot take in, in the cube community Ooh, that is a hot take i don't know i don't know how i feel about that uh, i think it's atrocious i don't like i i have not lost to that card i mean i've lost to it being in play but i have not lost as a result of that card doing anything wow. I, just think it, I just think it does nothing five mana to do nothing does not and then like just then maybe you draw a couple cards next turn it's just so, no no thank you I mean, I do think as far as five drops go, there are a lot better ones. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and and sometimes like, and, and it's awkward because I think rebuilding maybe doesn't fit into what sometimes the mill deck is trying to do, which is self mill with Jace and Thassa's Oracle. I think sometimes that is the way you win, right? You're targeting yourself with some of those abilities. Right. Something that came up yesterday that I think you and I had been talking about but hadn't put in the show notes until I, I was like, oh, I'm going to make a note of this. The modal double face cards have felt really good. Like not even just the rare ones that you can like bolt yourself to put untapped like those are great obviously but you know Balagad recovery has been super sweet in the multicolor green decks kazool's fury like i keep wanting to just like one shot someone with a giant ashaya with kazool's fury i haven't gotten <laughs> to do that yet but like those even the tapped ones have felt really strong yeah, I've been very impressed by the MDFCs. They're also named lands if you're doing the Golos Field of the Dead right. thing, which yeah, is yeah. super nice. They just mm -hmm. have a lot of small things that make them feel very good. And my, my last point here before we dive into some of the decks that we've enjoyed drafting is that, like I said this already, Cube's a recreational format. There are not really like right or wrong picks in terms of like pack one, pick one. Um, you know, it's really the true drafting with preferences format. I mean, I think out of any Cube, pack one, pick one, unless you're looking at something where it's like, well, Ugin's here or Chandra's here. But by and large, I think you can make an argument generally for a handful of cards of like, if you want to do this thing, you take this card. If you want to do this, 
this thing, take this card, or I want to take this because this is in the pack and I think it's going to wheel. So I'm going to grab that. And like, I think people get caught up on, I have this strong opinion about cube and this is right. And this is wrong. And it's just like, I think that I think if anything's wrong, that is the wrong way to think about <laughs> drafting cube, you know, preach. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I, as I have in the show notes here, I think blue white control in this cube is one of, if not the best deck in best of three, but I just don't find myself drafting that deck very often because it's not what I enjoy doing. It's not how I enjoy drafting or playing. So I gravitate towards the like grindy sack decks or black white attrition or companion or whatever. I like some blue white Cheons every now and then when I want to crush some people. I know. That's so, so crushing for sure. Oof. Anyway. All right. So we've been talking about this a little bit, alluding to it. I'm calling this cube the companion cube because I am obsessed with Luris in this cube, Ben. It's so good. Luris is in the top five cards in the cube pretty easily, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think you can make a case for companion Luris is the best deck in the cube, personally. That's if if I could draft one deck over and over and over in this cube, that's what it would be. And one of the reasons is is because it can be a number of different decks. I have had black white, blue white, black red, blue black companion Luris decks already. And that's because I am I jump ship for this card like basically anytime <laughs> in pack one. And I have jumped ship for it early in pack two as well. I I like really go hard after this card yeah it's super sweet i have drafted loris a couple times i have not companioned him yet but i have seen oh, your get deck out of here i know I'm, I'm not as brave as you it's embarrassing for you i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i've had decks where loris is good but it's been in the main deck i've had cards like ugin i want to play ugin yeah you're not allowed to cube shame me we just, we just established that point right? Just establish, yeah you're, you're right you're right you're right i'm being a hypocrite um a note about companioning loris because this comes up a lot uh, people are always asking about the mana base and your curve is very very low right you can only have permanents that are two cmc or less you can have higher cmc spells for sure but you often don't end up with them like you know maybe a strand's expertise i like warrant warden sometimes makes makes the cut in there if i can can cast the the blue white half but uh i would not go lower than 16 lands and i have generally wanted 17 and even 18 lands in my Luris companion decks because you know even though your curve is super low you really want to make sure you can get to land number five on time so that you can, what you want to be able to do is cast Luris, replay something, and have a protection spell for Luris up. And that often means you need to have like five or six mana. Right. Also, and you need to hit your land drop so that you can pay the three mana at right. some point reasonably and play some other spell. Like on turn four, maybe you put Luris into your hand and play a one drop. So you, you still need to hit land drops. Right. So don't, don't think that just because your curve is super, super low that you can go like 15 or 14 lands because... I've never, never once when I've companion Luris been like, I have nothing to do with my mana. That just doesn't happen. Right. Next up, Yorian on the list. I have not done Yorian yet either. That's shockingly, I guess. If I were going to do one of the two, it would be Luris first. Um, but yeah. I have been on the receiving end of some Yorian companion, and it is powerful. Yeah. One of my, my second draft deck of the cube, I companioned Yorian, and I trophied. And I actually think it's it's quite good. There's a lot of ETB effects to abuse. You know, if you've played or seen any of the lists from Standard or Historic that are like, you know, the Mardu Doom decks, like all of those pieces are there. You know, you you have Maze Mind Tome, you have Golden Egg, you can Blink. Um, there's just a lot of things that you can do uh, with Yorian. So you can draft with it in mind. The thing I will say is you really need to draft Yorian early. Like I think basically you need to know you're going to try and companion it within maybe the first three-ish picks of your draft because it's hard to get to, you know, if you think about the ratio of 23 lands to 17 spells, that's about 34 spells to 26 lands um that's the same ratio it's like 25.5 and so you really need to know that you're doing that to get to 34ish playables because you basically need to never take lands like lands are so go so low down in your pick order if you're trying to get to that 34ish playable count you also can just put Yorian in some blue and white decks yeah, and have yeah, it yeah. be very good as well there's a lot of good stuff to blink where it's just a good five drop in your deck absolutely no but i think just specifically here talking about these Two, and then we're going to talk about Obosh in just a second, like what you're trying to do if you're trying to companion them. Absolutely. So just to, to round out here, talking about Obosh, Karuga is not in uh, in contention here, but Obosh, I think, is, you know, it's, it's certainly worse than Luris, and I think probably worse than Yorian. It's a little clunky, but still super powerful. The thing you need is a critical mass of one drops so you don't fall behind. This is the most important thing to do. You basically build this as an aggro deck. I think it also might, Maybe you could do a green ramp deck because of 
all, all the three drops that you have. Um, and then, and maybe you get goose and land or elves in your one drop slot, but you'd need to round that out with something else. But I haven't done that yet. I think red, black, black, white, or red, white is your best bet. And then the other thing to keep in mind is drafting things that let you do stuff with your mana off curve. So like Crypt Breaker is super sweet because then you can do that on one and then you also have a way to use two mana on turn two if you want. Or you know on turn four, you can use play a one drop and activate this. Or something like Deemworthy that's a five CMC spell, but you can cycle it for four mana. So if you find those little things, never to return is really good, right? You never something on turn three and then you can return on turn four finding those ways to use even amounts of mana i think is important bone crusher giant baby bone crusher giant oh my god yeah that's savage so and i think i do think you'll often find we had someone in our our discord talking about this with their obosh companion deck that you don't like obosh isn't really the thing it's just sort of this like extra generally the last thing you'll ever do in your hand is finally put obosh into your hand and cast it and you may not do it every game but that just means that you're never running out of other stuff to do which is also good so it's just nice to have that like uh, eventually i'll have this eighth card that my opponent has to deal with yeah feels good so moving on to just some other decks in the cube i have been so jealous of your blue white auras lists and i have seen the decks on twitter i've been on the lookout to draft it i haven't been in a draft where it's felt right to draft yet for me but this deck looks so sweet yeah so so blue white auras it looks very much or operates very much like autumn burchette's what was it players tour one whatever mythic championship one mono blue aggro tempo list so there's there's three pieces you're looking for here you're looking for the can tripping auras so that's staggering insight curiosity curious obsession and c dasher octopus i think also slots in here then you're looking for protection spells so when you're suiting up these creatures then how do you protect them so there's a lot of ways to do that so that's siren storm tamer alcea of life's bounty fight is one dauntless bodyguard selfless savior and then cheap evasive creatures slash creatures that can protect themselves. So Benslayer Angel is in there, Seasoned Hallowblade that protects itself, Adanto Vanguard protects itself, and then evasive threats like Siren Storm Tamer, Spectral Sailor, Slitherblade, Terramander. Bonus points if you can. This is a great home for companioning Luris because all this stuff is one and two CMC, and that's like a really nice redundant way to rebuy stuff. But this deck just like operates with get ahead, stay ahead. You play a one drop, you play an aura that allows you to keep drawing cards and have a way to protect it. And you're just off to the races with this deck. Right. This is sort of like the old, you know, when I saw this list, it's like the old Marshall Sutcliffe blue black deck that used to be in cube. You know, if you're an old LR listener from back in the day, Marshall loves to draft this deck that's like mana wars. And there used to be in cube all of the black one drops, like the one mana two twos that like do a damage to you unless, you know, certain you meet certain conditions and you just get ahead and then you cast cards like mana leak and mana war to keep your opponent off balance and win and the whole deck is cards that nobody else wants and that's what (laughs) it feels like is true of this deck as well like these are all intrinsically low powered cards until you put them all together and then when you get the deck to come together it's a force to be reckoned with right i think this is one of the reasons this deck speaks to me so much is that i think it's quite powerful and it does it's like but it's a tier two deck right it's not great but no one wants these pieces and they're and they're all redundant there's so many of them the key is the cantripping auras but basically once you snap up staggering insight like no one wants curiosity or curious obsession so like you're gonna get those if they're opened um and then everything else is super redundant so that's how i usually get into the deck I've, i've drafted this maybe three times and i think two of those three times i first pick staggering insight did you really? What a fiend. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's so easy when you're like, well, Staggering Insight, I take here, and then Fight as One is also in the pack, and no one wants that, so I know I'm going to wheel it, and that's a key piece to the deck, so then you're just off to the races. Sweet. Yeah. Blue-Eye Control is up next. I'll take the lead on this one so that you Ugh. don't have to... You don't like, have can to, I go away? Can I, like, go get some just, water? You can just you... groan periodically, <laughs> like, about every 15 or 20 seconds, and it'll be perfect. <laughs> Great. So Blue-Eye Control, there's a ton of sweepers in the cube, as we've already alluded to. There's Wrath... Realm Cloak Giant, Cleansing Nova, Settle the Wreckage, Perilous Vault, Ondu Inversion. Those last two are a little less good than the others, but there are a bunch of Wraths floating around. There's a lot of game-breaking spells as well, just in blue and white in general, a lot of intrinsically powerful cards. Stuff like Torrential Gear Hulk, and heaven forbid you have Torrential Gear Hulk plus Sublime Epiphany. That's a pretty wicked six drop, one, two wombo combo. Elspeth Conquer's Death is here. There's also Approach to the Second Suns, which is a super sweet win condition in these blue white control decks. There's a lot of ways to churn through your library to find Approach to the Second Sun faster. The cutest of which I think is actually Salundi Vision, the MDFC from Zendikar Rising. You can cast that and it gets you six cards deeper to find your approach almost immediately. I had one of my opponents do that to me, and I was like, really? Is this really happening? 
happening right now. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to get yourself super deep after you cast Approach of the Second Sun. Yeah. So there's a lot of good mana rocks as well. Mostly at 3 CMC, Mindstone super premium in this deck as one of the only 2 CMC mana rocks. There's good card draw. You need defensive speed as well. Birth of Miletus has been really impressive in this deck specifically and just in white decks that want the game to go longer. So it's the one in a white saga that gives you an 0-4, gains you a little life, and lets you search up a planes. Yeah, I have loved Birth of Miletus in black-white, like grindy-ish decks because like like it Saga's triggering revolt for your whatever, your 3-2 that gives minus three, minus three, or fatal push or whatever, or hidden stockpile. That's pretty cool. It provides like a two for one for you in those decks that care about it. I don't know. I've I've really liked Birth. Life gain matters too. There's a lot of yeah. life gain synergy running around in the cube. It just does a lot of small things really well in the two drop slot, which is important. Yeah. So moving on, speaking of those black-white or black-based attrition decks, this is probably beyond the blue-white auras deck, my favorite thing to do in the cube. This pairs best with white or red if you're thinking about like Judith or Mayhem Devil in red, Hidden Stockpile or Doom Foretold in white. And and this, again, like the blue-white auras deck, you need to get the, the different pieces. So the one piece is Sacrifice Outlets, um, the best of which I think are probably like Woe Strider and Priest of Forgotten Gods. Um, you want cards that care about things dying, like Blood Artist and Bastion of Remembrance. You want creatures that are two for ones so that like then you are getting value out of sacrificing stuff. So you think about Orzov Enforcer, Dusk Legion Zealot, Reassembling Skeleton is sweet. There's the recursive one drops like Gutter Bones and Dread Wanderer. There's a lot of redundant pieces to this deck. And so you can often find the the recipe that you need to make it work. Yeah, I think this is probably my favorite of the Synergy decks, followed by the Blue White Auras deck. Even though I haven't played it yet, I know I would love playing it. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what that says about you and I, that we are gravitating towards the exact same two decks. <laughs> in these synergy lists as well. Um, yeah, another sweet deck here in, in the cube is just Demir good stuff. There are Oof. so many absurdly powerful Demir cards, it's ridiculous. Like the gold cards that green-white gets are like Conclave Mentor and Johnny. Demir just gets cards that are in actual vintage cube. It gets <laughs> Thief of Sanity, Scarab God, Hostage Taker, like three, four, five CMC is just laughably good compared to the rest of the cards in the cube those are all three of those cards are probably in the top 15 cards of the cube probably yeah they're anytime i see those cards i'm just like oh no (laughs) just like i should have drafted more removal what have i done yeah so you also get hand disruption you know cards like thought erasure running around you get the best spot removal in black you know stuff that can deal with creatures and or planeswalkers you get card draw from blue you get good cheap threats in black you get counter magic in blue blue black is very very good and very deep in this cube one of the things that you outlined in your cfb pro article on arena cube was this blue black reanimator deck which i really had sort of you know tossed off like i see car i see ulamog running around i'm like what the heck are you supposed to do with this but then once i saw you put in the context of like there's charter course there's thirst for knowledge thirst for meaning as these like ways to not only churn through your deck to find the pieces but then to bin your large monsters and then there there are a handful of reanimator spells you know on burial rights i think chief among them um i think there, there are some others as well um but that, then you put that into context i was like oh i see that this is a deck that can come together maybe pretty often yeah, you can do it. I mean, it's not reanimator in the sense that you're going to be reanimating turn three Gristlebrand, but you can put those cards in a control shell and just have a reanimator sub package, I think, in your blue black control deck. Yeah, which I think is something to keep your eye out for. Um, green based plus one plus one counters decks have been really fun. I think mostly best as green white, but I've seen it as green red or even green black. So cards that double counters, branching evolution is wild. Like talk about you know, this is an exception for my, this doesn't affect the board when it comes into play, but boy, howdy, does it pay out in multiples later on in in the draft. So this is a two and a green enchantment and it just doubles plus one plus one counters on creatures. Not like Conclave Mentor, which is just like, hey, here's an additional one. Branching Evolution is literally double the counters. So if you've got a Johnny Planeswalker, that's two counters. You have Micaeus the Lunark, that's two counters. One of my favorite combos with this deck is to have Luminarch Aspirant and Micaeus the Lunark. And so Aspirant puts the counter on Micaeus, and then Micaeus is like, here's the counter for everybody else. <laughs> and, you know, God forbid you have Evolution or Mentor in play when you're doing that, and that's adding like, you know, double the counters, which is really, really strong. Yeah, I think one of the drawbacks, as I said earlier, against this deck is that you're just so vulnerable to all of the sweepers that are running around. 
Yes, and this is perhaps why I felt so bad about the amount of sweepers in the cube. Um, <laughs> and, and so, and just in terms of what like green white ish can can do, I like the counters deck a lot more than the tokens deck. Um, there's a bit of support for the token stuff in general. I think like the one drops that make tokens like Ovaya Pashiri or Reese the Redeemed are too slow. And as I alluded to before, I'm nervous about tapping out for the do nothing enchantments like Divine Visitation and Anointed Procession. Uh, Procession has been impressive. I think less so Visitation, but both of those I just I'm always so like, Ugh, can I afford to tap out for this? And then do I have the follow-up? I think probably the best thing I, I've seen my opponents do is like Procession on four and then Tristani on five to get like the four one-one lifelinkers that are now two-twos because of Tristani. That's been really strong. Procession has been pretty oppressive in the tokens decks that can make the game go long. Like yeah. there aren't the turbo tokens decks that really want to actually grind. Maybe that's the thing. It's like the green-white plus almost one counters deck is aggro and the tokens deck is a grindy deck. I think that's been my impression, certainly. Yeah, that's I, I hadn't quite like put that in context, but that helps me like sort of compartmentalize the two. Yeah, some other decks that are also present in the cube and are present in most cube, but all of the mono colored decks are in the arena cube. You know, on LR, they talked about mono white and mono red a lot. I think all of the monocolored decks are there and viable. You and I drafted a super sick mono black deck together yesterday. Um, Gray Merchant of Asphodel, Gary, as he's affectionately known, is in the cube uh, where you drain equal to the number of your devotion to black. Phyrexian Obliterators here, which is quad black for a 5-5 that makes your opponent sacrifice permanence whenever it's dealt damage. Um, and I think black frequently has a self-contained sacrifice sub-theme within it as a color that you can make use of in mono black. Mono Red's the normal Chain Whirler, Hazaret, Experimental Frenzy, Hellrider, you know, one and two drop cards that are, you know, aggressive, beat your opponent down. Same thing for Mono White. They play out a little bit differently, but both Mono White and Mono Red are very good aggro decks. And then Mono Green, you know, you're playing the one and two drop CMC ramp creatures into some threats like Hornet Queen and other green cards that are at the top of the curve. And there's also, I think I've seen in the Lords of Limited Discords in the trophy channels, there's some mono green stompy decks as well. Like, I get, I get there's like the Earthshaker Kenra and... Yeah, and just like Kazandu Mammoth. And yeah. there's just like big beefers at different points along the curve. Questing Beast. Yeah, that makes sense. And then finally, Mono Blue, you know, you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but I think I have not seen it yet, but I think if there is a Mono Blue deck, there is a, a lot of mill support running around in blue. Yeah, Jace, Folio, Rune Crab. Tutelage, Stasis Oracle, that sort of thing. Uh, a note about Mono Black. Mono Black has I've drafted quite a bit to varying degrees of success. Um, I think that's just sort of like the luck of the draw sometimes with cube. You know, a lot of times I think you can just be like, my deck is sweet, and then you owe two, and that, that happens sometimes, <laughs> you know. Like um, but there's a lot of life gain and recursion in black that I think is a little maybe you don't quite see it on face value. So I've I've had a lot of life gain stuff. Veto is really insane in conjunction with Gray Merchant. I've drained for a lot, like 16 sometimes with that card, like doubling the drain on Gary when you have Veto is insane. There's also the Veto Explicit Blood. I think ex right? Exquisite Blood is a trap, I think. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't <laughs> buy it. I'm that, another five CMC enchantment that I am not a fan of. It's Splinter Twin though, right? It is Splinter Twin. I agree. That, that's true. But there's Witch of the Moors and Ayara. So Ayara is the triple black two, three. When a Black creature comes into play under your control. You drain your opponent, and then you can tap to sack a black creature to draw a card. And Witch of the Moors is a 5-mana 4-4 death touch. At the beginning of your end step, if you gained life this turn, your opponent sacks a creature, and you return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. And so, like, IR is in play. You play Witch of the Moors, boom, there's your one point of life gain for the turn. So you automatically trigger it, and that just means you get to, like, every creature that comes into play, because you're returning creatures with Witch of the Moors, every creature that's going to come into play, you're going to get to get that trigger every single turn. It's a really ridiculous engine. That's pretty oppressive. And another card that's really impressed me in that deck, or just in general in the cube, is Null Priest of Oblivion from Zendikar. Oh yeah, that card has been very strong. Yeah, like just a straight up six mana reanimate spell, also having like life gain in the sub theme. I also think Gravebreaker Lamia is sweet, being able to bin stuff to recur, or even binning like there's a handful of escape stuff so you can just do the Theros Beyond Death thing where you're putting Most Rider or Farika Spawn into your bin. Yeah, you made me a believer in the old Lamia when we drafted together yesterday. Yeah, also just like a 4-4 lifelink is, is big game. Yeah. So last deck here we're going to really talk about, and we're just going to talk about this briefly because I think LR went pretty deep on it, but there is a Golos Field of the Dead multicolor control deck running around. Mm -hmm. um, it generally wants to be base green so that you can have Elvish Reclaimer and Uvenwald Hydra to search up your Field of the Dead. But Golos Field is, I think, very strong. I don't think it's one of the best things in the cube to do, honestly, after playing the cube a lot. And I have played this deck three or four times now. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you haven't played Niv Mizzet? I don't get it. I played Niv like four times already. I've never gotten the Niv, baby. Yeah, Niv is sweet. It's tough. Like Niv doesn't actually slot into. You can't go like, oh, multicolor good stuff, and then I see Niv pack three, pick one. It's like, well, do you have any gold cards? Like you, right, Niv that's really been the problem. You do need to build around it in that respect. It doesn't quite like slot in the way that you, we're thinking about. Okay, you feel the dead, and then you want the ways to tutor up field, and then you're drafting lands super highly, and then you're just like trying to not die. But then I think you also need. I don't know you. Maybe then you need an anointed procession or a Mirari's Wake to make them three threes. I do feel like sometimes the Field of the Dead thing isn't quite good enough to get me over the top. Right. Yes, that's been my experience as well. But it is—it's very sweet. It's very fun to draft. But I, again, I don't—I I wouldn't put it as a tier one deck. Tier one point five, maybe. Tier one point five. So what is tier one besides blue white control in your mind? Mono red. Mono red. Mono black, maybe. Mono black or black based attrition. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think blue white is blue white control at least in best of three is is the best. Black red when it comes together is also very oppressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of my faves. I've just not gotten to draft it that much, unfortunately. Yeah, I've drafted it twice. It's been good. Sweet. A couple other cards I want to highlight here that I just think have been undervalued in general. Two of them. One is Dragon Master Outcast. That's the single red for a one one. And whenever you have six lands at the beginning of your upkeep, you make a five five flying dragon for free. That and Scoot Swarm, the two and a green 1-1, one, one, uh, that if you have six lands, it makes a copy of itself. And if you have less than six lands, it makes a 1-1 one, one insect. Presumably, you're waiting until you have six lands to play it. Both of those cards are super powerful win conditions in this cube that I think go way too late. Yeah, Scoot Swarm and Ashaya is a really sweet combo that you can get. Like, there's this, like, little landfall package from Zendikar. You get Scoot Swarm, Ashaya, and Phylath, which are all, like, really good friends with each other. And Ashaya, I think, is kind of a, a glue piece there a little bit. But yeah, I agree. Scoot Swarm has been really, really powerful. All right, let's take a look at some draft action now, shall we? All right, let's do it. All right, so we're going to take a seat at a draft that I did here for the round table. So the draft logs on 17 lands have been through a saga. Arena developers broke the way the draft logs work, so it didn't save your pack one, pick one for a while. And then it did save it for a while, and now we're back to where you only have the card that you took, pack one, pick one. But... We have a draft here where we opened Ugin the Spirit Dragon, so eight mana for the seven loyalty planeswalker. You can plus to lightning bolt something. You can minus X to exile each colored permanent that's converted mana cost X or less. And ultimate, you probably win the game when you do it. So who knows what that does? Could you even say what it does without looking at it? No way. Not a chance. It's wild to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Right. How many times have I played with Ugin? A lot. A lot, yeah. That's it's just, just not, it's just relevant so rarely. And when you need to know, you just look on the card. That's true. That's true. Yeah. You would never be in a position where you would be on a podcast talking about a card and need to know what it did. <laughs> so what were, what were we playing with yesterday that you, there were like multiple cards in the deck that we drafted that you did not know what they did. Ayaro was rough. <laughs> That's the one that comes to mind first. <laughs> I kind of knew what Ayara did. You did. You had you had sort of had like word soup among the two things. You were like, <laughs> I when had I the sack, I gain it. a life. When the creature comes into play, I draw a card. What is it? Yeah. All right. So we slammed Ugin. Pack one, pick one here. Moving on to pack one, pick two. First up is Slitherblade. Goes in the blue-white Aura's evasive deck that we talked about, right? Yeah, right. But not a reason to go into that deck. It's just like one of those redundant evasive one drops. All right. Next up is start finish. Two and a white instant. Make two one one white warrior creature tokens with vigilance. And the aftermath half is finish. Two and a black. Sacrifice a creature. Destroy target creature. Yeah, I like this in white black attrition decks. Yep. Goes goes where it said it goes. Ominous Seize is up next. One and a blue for the enchantment. Whenever you draw a card, put a foreshadow counter on it. Remove eight counters to make an eight eight blue kraken creature token and has cycling two. Not many cards in this cube that I would call a stinker, but this is one of them. Yeah, just super not supported. This and Archfiend of Ifnir. <laughs> yeah, although I did have my opponent Archfiend and cast Thirst against me. And I was like, oh, okay. And then my whole team got minus two, minus two counters. Ooh, that's kind of spicy. Yeah, so so may- maybe there's there's homes for Archfiend. Speaking of, that is also in the pack. Three black, black, five, four flying. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, put a minus one, minus one counter on each creature your opponent's control. And has cycling too. Kazul's Fury is also here. Two and a red instant as an additional cost to cast it. Sacrifice a creature and it deals damage equal to the sacrifice creature's power to any target. Also mountain on the other side. Tapped mountain. Yeah. I, this is, we talked about MDFCs being strong. I think this is really good. But not something I'm looking to first pick. Foulmire Knight is here. Black 1-1 one, one death touch. And the adventure is profane insight. Two and a black instant draw a card. Lose a life. Yeah. Again, this is like totally fine. You play this in most of your black decks. But again, not a high pick. Ethan Sachs speed bump. 
That's right. Yeah, it is exactly, right? This is a speed bump. Botanical Sanctum, blue-green duel, ETBs tapped unless you control two or fewer other lands. Riding Registor, Tuna Black 7-6, the beginning of your upkeep, discard a card. Probably not what you want to pair with Ugin the Spirit Dragon. I've also not, I don't think there's like a real home for this card. Archfiend of Ifnir Tech, baby. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Pactum Negation, zero mana instant, counter target spell. At the beginning of your next upkeep, you pay three blue-blue. If you don't, you lose the game. I have been gotten by this a number of times. Like, I'm like, oh, my opponent's tapped out. I'm f- free and clear, baby. Yeah, the card, I think, is very strong in the cube. Luris of the Dream Den is next. One Orzov, Orzov, 3-2, companion. Uh, each permanent in your deck has to be CMC two or less if you companion it. Lifelink, and during each of your turns, you can cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. Okay. Uh, Ugin is going into my sideboard, as is Luris at the end of the draft. But, uh, th- I mean, I-, I know what I'm doing now. <laughs> Wow, just snapping it off, huh? Sna- snapping it off, 100%. All right, Legion's Landing is next. White, Legendary Enchantment. When it ETBs, you make a 1-1 white vampire creature token with a lifelink. And when you attack with three or more creatures, this flips into a land that you can pay two and a white to make a 1-1 lifelinking vampire. Gilded Goose is next. Green for an 0-2 flyer. When it ETBs, you make a food token. You can pay one and a green, tap it to make a food token, and you can tap it to sacrifice a food token to add a man of any color to your mana pool. I mean... If if Ugin is the name of the game here, this is a pretty darn good follow-up as one of the only one-mana rampers. Right. So I remember I was streaming this, and there was a lot of discussion about whether we were taking Gilded Goose or Luris. I wanted to take Gilded Goose to go towards Ugin, and then I was like, ah, I had seen all the sweet Luris lists that you had done. <laughs> and so I ended up, spoilers, taking Luris here. But I think if I'd been drafting by myself, I would have taken Gilded Goose because I think it pairs better with Ugin, and I really wanted to play Ugin. But I did take Luris here. Pelucranos, Unchained is also in the pack. This has been a house. Two black green for the 0 0. ETBs with six plus one plus one counters. It escapes with 12 plus one plus one counters. Escape cost is four black green, exile six other cards, and you can pay one black green to have a fight another target creature. If damage will be dealt to Poly K while it has plus one plus one counters on it, you prevent the damage and remove that many plus one plus one counters from it. Yeah, I haven't played against this card very much, so I, I'm, I'm interested to hear you call it a house because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, this is fine, but it's a four drop, so I'm not going to prioritize it highly. But perhaps you think this is a cut above the rest. This is really good. Yeah. All right. I'm, sweet. It's it's really good. Uh, Finale of Devastations, our last one. Green, green, X, sorcery, search your library and or graveyard for a creature card with converted mana cost X or less. Put it on the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. If X is 10 or more, creatures you control get plus X plus X and gain haste until end of turn. Yeah, I had an opponent that had Finale and Selvala. So Selvala is like three mana ramper that you can pay green, tap it, and adds mana equal to the greatest power among creatures you control. And that's a real way to power out this Finale. I have seen it for for 10 for sure and lost to it. There's also Mirari's Wake too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a real way to do it as well. Double all your mana. So yeah, I think the pick ultimately here for me is between Gilded Goose and Luris. And I think it would be the same regardless of what we had taken pack one, pick one. Yeah, there's not. Well, it sounds like is is Pelucranos perhaps in that conversation as well for you? If if this is pack one, pick one or no? Not with Luris here. No, I mean I, pack one, pick one. I think you're slamming Luris. Right. Well, as, as I said, pack one, pick two. I'm slamming Luris. Right. I I took Luris also. I was not greedy enough to immediately put Ugin in my sideboard, and I ended up with Luris and Ugin in the main deck. For shame, Ben. But yeah, but like, there's a lot of. I mean, even beyond those. There's just a lot of things to think about. Like you can be like, all right, I'm going to take Legion's Landing and maybe I can wheel start to finish. Maybe I'm going to do some sort of like go wide thing and that's going to be in red, white and I can wheel Kazool's Fury. But like, I, I do think you want to take stock of the entire pack when you're drafting cube. I mean, you should be doing this in any limited environment, period. But really taking stock of the whole pack, I think is important. You know, we did that yesterday. We were drafting on your stream and we took a black card out of the first pack and then it wheeled and gutter bones was still in the pack and i was like oh what's really great about that is that 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 was the only other black card in the pack so that means we may be the only black drafter at the table or mono black is open for us or whatever and you know multiple people in chat were like whoa how did you remember that and i'm like well i think that's really something you should be trying to take stock of especially in cube right i agree and i think it gets easier the more magic you play right Mm -hmm. and a similar similar thing that happened when i was doing a coaching session with one of our um patrons and we were doing the coaching session and for some reason 17 lands didn't save the draft log i don't know if our, the person didn't have 17 lands open or what had happened there but so i went i went through like the first 
four or five, six picks from memory, like what the decision points were. And he was like, whoa, that was incredible. <laughs> and I, like I was concentrating on it pretty hard because it was a coaching session. But I think in general, if you're drafting, those are good skills to develop for sure. Absolutely. But yeah, oh, I'm just just drooling over the slurs right now. I hope it, I hope it doesn't get that much worse than best of one. I think it's gonna be it's still gonna be great, right? I hope so. I don't know. A lot of people like Gabby tweeted out that she was, she was like, playing some arena cube best of one is feast best of three is dece <laughs> it's like yeah i hope it's not that bad but it seems like some people have had that take so far it just depends on if people are tryharding with mono red and mono white yeah that's true turtle up with your wraths i guess there you go yeah all right good place to wrap us up i think go forth and draft the arena cube it is super sweet don't be intimidated i think the other thing that we haven't mentioned about the arena cube is the payout is super sweet, right? It's really low risk. It's a good thing. If you 2-1, you get to do it again for free. It doesn't cost a ton of gold or gems. So definitely check it out if you have not. Right. It's pretty low investment. So best of three will be gone. It'll come back when Tinkerer's Cube comes back in January, which is also a sweet cube format for sure if it's the same as it was before. Um, but even in best of one, at like 5-3, you get your gold back. And then it's like, you know, progressive along the way. So it's, it's a slow bleed, even if you don't get to the five wins each draft. Yeah. So go draft some Marina Cube. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases, please use the code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you there. Come check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Remember, we are doing our live Q&A episode next Sunday, December 27th at 10 a.m. Eastern on my channel. Be there. We look forward to hanging out with you. You can check us out on Twitter under those same usernames, and you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, what, what, what? Oh, do you not think that? No, I'm, I'm trying to set you up here. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but then I just like got flabbergasted. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why.